Welcome to another episode of the Leaders in Education podcast, the official podcast for the Charlevoix-Emmett Intermediate School District, featuring voices in education. Today, it is my pleasure to be talking again with Kelly Rogers. Kelly is a school psychologist, board-certified behavior analyst, and special education coordinator at the Charlevoix-Emmett Intermediate School District. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of positive adult-student interactions and how those can be leveraged to cultivate positive relationships and student engagement. Kelly, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Excited. So you and I and most of our listeners would agree that one of the priorities for anyone in education is to cultivate positive relationships with the students we serve. But so that we are all on the same page, can you give our listeners some specific ways that this can contribute to students' emotional well-being as well as their academic performance? Yeah, I think um, we've gathered, uh, you know, more research over the years in more recently about the impact of relationships and belonging and those kind Mm -hmm. of elements. And certainly when kids are regulated and when they're connected, no question, we see improvements across a broad range of learning domains. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when we talk about learning and instruction, we think the really narrow definition of academics like reading, writing, and math. And we do see those improvements because we see improvements in engagement Mm -hmm. when they are regulated in a good place and feel like they're valued members of the community of their classroom, that belonging element. And so... um, but that, but in addition to those academics, we see improvements in emotional well-being mm-hmm. and physical health. You know, in many, many domains of the whole child, we see improvements. Well, so belonging is the critical piece here, right? Hundred percent. We all want belonging, so it makes sense that we would want students to feel like they have some belonging. So we've all heard of the five to one ratio. That is five positive interactions for every one negative. Can you unpack that a little and and tell us what constitutes a positive interaction and alternatively what doesn't? Yeah, I think that that um, the research in that area has been interpreted over the years. We've said five positive interactions, but it's gotten interpreted as like five acknowledgements. Hmm. So five Oh, thank you for doing that. You're sitting very well. You're following these expectations. You completed your assignment, which are all good, Mm -hmm. and we want to include those. But if kids are only receiving acknowledgments, meaning they're receiving positive interactions from us because they're doing something for us, and they're getting that exclusively, that also can be a problem. Now, in typical classrooms, what ends up happening, no fault of anyone's, but we don't strike that five to one. Typical kids need five to one, meaning five of those positive interactions for every one. We'll talk about what the negatives Mm -hmm. mean here in a minute. Um, But some kids need even more than that. And in a typical classroom, when you're adulting as the teacher, you're really focused on, I need to have the class doing what they're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. or it gets a little chaotic, and we have curriculum we got to get through and things like that. So we end up doing more what a teacher wouldn't describe as a negative interaction, but a correction or a help or a right. prompt. They need to do this. And those things can become aversive and become those negative interactions if they're not framed within that sure. pocket of positive. And so certainly the acknowledgments are important, and that's part of the five. But we also talk about how important the research is really about interactions, which is why right now, for an example, we have some really good research coming out about greeting at the door, that if right. the teacher is standing at the door and greets the students by name, makes eye contact, interacts with them, in some way that that is having a huge impact on behavior in classrooms. Well, some of that is because it has nothing to do with just acknowledgments. It's not saying you've done something good for me, thank you, but rather 
you belong here, right, you're valued, right. thank you for showing up today, kind of a thing. So okay. when we're saying positive interactions, we're talking a richer array of interactions. It could just be a thumbs up as you walk by, like, hey, is everything going okay? Right. You know, things like that. And so having a broader array of those positive interactions. And what you said about the alternative, that just giving directions can now be interpreted as a negative Right, because most teachers would say, well, I don't have any negative interactions with my kids. Teachers aren't trying to be mean to kids or anything like that. But it's the what's perceived as negative um, can be those, we, we frame them correction, prompt, help, demand, or mm-hmm. expectation, and negative, saying no. And again, typical kids are are likely getting that because mm-hmm. typical kids are coming into the classroom and I wouldn't even say typical but kids that are prepared for school um come into the classroom already ready for that somehow by osmosis or DNA whatever it is they come prepared to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it they get natural reinforcement for that and mm-hmm. all the things and so oftentimes you don't even have to think about that five to one for that population of kids okay. but for some we got to get more intentional because they're not naturally getting that because they have higher needs sure so what's a common what are some common uh negative interactions that people would maybe adults might not have typically thought of as being negative you said directions directions is one prompting you know, so you might have given the instruction, okay, everyone get out your math book and your, mm-hmm. you know, your pencil, and Johnny didn't get out his pencil. Come on, Johnny, grab your pencil is a prompt. Anything that you do after okay. instruction is prompting, and if we're having to over-prompt, that be- can become aversive. And if it's not framed in that at least five, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. some kids that need even more than that, but at least five, then if we're, hey, get your pencil, get your pencil sharpened, um, hey, grab that book, you were supposed to be on page 27, like in matter of seconds, mm-hmm. we may have six or seven prompts. And so we're already off kilter on our, on our ratio. So what's a way that a teacher could turn that around? Yeah, so one of the things that we do, because again, what, even with the five to one, if we just stuck with that, in a typical day for all the kids, trying to strike that five to one, it's like you don't have enough time right. in the day to get the five. So one of the ways for some of the kids that need a lot of that mm-hmm. correcting and prompting and things like that. So one of the things we do is how do we reduce the teacher's need to correct, prompt, provide help, those kinds of things. So in this example, you know, might be that we're using visuals. We have a checklist. So it's here's the things you need. So all we need to do is prompt to the checklist as opposed to prompt to the five things that are on the checklist. We can reduce the prompting from five to one just by using a visual checklist. You know, um, instructional organizational tools, um, other visual kinds of supports, timers, things like that, things that help the student be more independent and being able to complete the things, though they might have um, neurodiversity challenges okay. or um, you know a disability or whatever that is that's causing them to need a higher rate of correcting and prompting and helping um, are the tools we would put in place to buffer that so the teacher doesn't have okay. that on them. So recently I observed a teacher teaching and instead of prompting, the teacher used questions. Would that be a legitimate way to create a positive interaction versus a negative, or is that still a negative? It again, it, it, a lot of that goes back to looking at what the response is to by the child. Mm-hmm. So some kids, even that questioning, can be 
prompting. It can be a perceived demand. And we actually have a whole new kind of line of um, understanding for some kids that have more of this, we're calling it um, demand avoidance, Mm -hmm. but where even things that typical kids wouldn't react or respond to, we're seeing that some kids are having even neurological, like, you know, um, safety brain Mm -hmm. reactions to even perceived demands or perceived expectations through questions. So recently I heard you say to a a crowd of educators that five to one might not be enough. And you've mentioned that a couple times here and you actually used uh, the 20 to one ratio. Can you explain that? Yeah, actually I was just at a conference um, in a PBIS conference in um, Chicago not long ago. And the presenter was talking about some of the newer research coming out post COVID Mm -hmm. that though we've always talked four to one or five to one has been the common number that we're seeing rates of nine to one for typical kids post COVID and, you know, probably have many um, theories about why that's the case. But, um, you know, so that's one piece. When we start moving up the line to something like 20 to 1, this is, comes out of some research but, um, that is provided by Jessica Minahan, mm-hmm. um, who does a lot of work in this area. But kids who have histories of trauma um, needing 20 to 1. And again, when you start getting up to those levels of rates, there's no way your typical teacher in right. a classroom is going to strike that, which all the more... Um, it puts the importance on those preventative strategies. How do we create environments mm-hmm. where kids can be naturally independent, um, not needing as much correction, prompting, and helping so we can get to that 20. Well, on that note, what are two or three strategies you'd recommend? For the, tw- to get the 20? Or to get more than five. Yeah, yeah to get more. Yeah, or... so there's, you know, and again, typical, your kids that are engaged and doing what they're supposed to be doing are probably naturally getting it. Mm -hmm. So we're really talking about that population of kids, which again, that number's probably going up, like we were just talking about. Um, We have to be a little more intentional about getting that. So just some things that have been thrown out is what sticks, you know, what is easily memorable. So one is, I think Jessica Minahan talks about um, two for 10. Have two minutes of interaction with the student that you're having trouble connecting with and or his um, presenting with more of those challenges. Um, Two minutes of having a conversation about anything other than school for 10 days. And we know that doing that two to 10, we're getting some research that we start to see that connection coming, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's something a teacher could remember to do just, you know, where's, when's my two minutes going to be? There's other um, people that use 30 to 30, one minute, per day for 30 days, things like that that are memorable. I think other things are just, you know, we get so adulting that we forget that these are kids that are just navigating the world and trying to figure the world out. And if you show any bit of authentic interest in, you know, hey, how's your dog doing? Oh, I see that you're playing basketball. How'd the game go last night? Just having really authentic interest in who they are and what's going on it isn't doesn't seem like a lot but we forget to do it because we're so busy adulting with the things that we have to do that if we really get intentional about those little moments they go a long long way for kids feeling like the adults in their lives are um you know have have interest and genuine interest in in who they are as people i think also just in general having a positive inviting demeanor Mm -hmm. i mean again in our adulting world we don't mean to be a little 
turd or whatever the words are, but it comes across that way because sure. we've got things we got to get right. done and whatever. Yeah. But, you know, bringing our own peace to ourselves and being able to have this inviting demeanor and positive demeanor in life mm-hmm. also that's, goes a long way. It's a great reminder for all of us. Yes, right? all of us. So obviously you've been touching on that this doesn't really apply to just school staff. It really no. can apply to parents and other adults that engage with students. Um, what are some other ways that you've seen um, this happen outside of school, like in, in homes and families? Yeah, and I certainly think, you know, it's always, I have grandkids in our public schools, and so when I show up and I see the teacher there, and I know, you know, in life that can't always happen, but that's mm-hmm. super, you know, super valuable. Even in homes, all the things that we're talking about in homes happen as well. I mean, it, we get adulting with all the things mm-hmm. we need to do and forget to just pay attention. I've seen it all the time where the child is trying to get the attention and get an interaction and we're on our phone trying to respond to somebody over here and, you know, we have things going on. Stopping even for 30 seconds and making yeah. direct eye contact and listening to to what they're wanting to say and having some genuine interest in that lasts often it's a lot of more time on the back end than the little bit of 30 seconds here or one minute here on the front end um so so something playing in in my the back of my mind is is that image of a a parent and child at the grocery store and you hear them hollering at each other as you walk down the aisles and you i so often have wanted to just interject and say oh yeah um, I'm sure you've seen that too. Yeah. Uh, and that seems like that just is compounding the problem then, right? It's compounding the problem. And I think sometimes the simplest answers are the best answers, right? Because it can be something like, oh, yeah, isn't that cool? Look at the ingredients. I mean, you can just pay attention to mm-hmm. something they may be trying to take or get in the cart or want. We can't get that today, you blah, blah, blah. And just responding to them like sure. the little people that they are yeah. and giving them the rationale as opposed to, no, and it's just, you know, no. Yeah. I also think that we, and this would be for school especially as well, but we underutilize circles. We underutilize the use of circles as a connecting um, activity and really being able to sit down without anything between us like a dining room table and rather just full-on circle with each other mm. and have time that's intentional and to be able to listen to each other. And because of the structure of having those restorative circles, it teaches us all how to stop and listen better and get mm-hmm. to know each other on a personal level. You'd think living with each other, we know each other on a personal level, but these days you don't always see that. We're, we're coming and going and don't know that. So I think it's underutilized and has a lot of power of creating that connection. And Allie Hearn, she's a social worker um, out of Indiana, I think, doing a lot of work in the area of restorative practices for schools. And, you know, I heard her talk the other day and she's just so much about lead with connection. It doesn't matter what you're doing if you're having a staff meeting and it's all adults, if you're having the circle time with kids, if you're with the family and want, you know, carving out some time to hang out together, do it in circles, do it in the structure of circles and it will like, you know, heal the world if we just did more circles. Sure. This is great advice for everybody and it's fascinating to hear you talk through this. And is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I don't, I, no, I think that covers everything. I think that it's not as difficult as sometimes it seems like it is. Mm -hmm. It's one of the simplest things we can do. And frankly, the value isn't just to who we're giving that to. Right. The value actually comes back to ourselves. And so it gives us peace when you, and healing when you offer that, so... 
Well, I've been talking with Kelly Rogers about positive adult-student interactions and how those can be leveraged to cultivate positive relationships and student engagement. Kelly, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Leaders in Education podcast. Please check out our archive for past episodes. And remember, the great thing about learning is that you never have to stop.